You're listening to the Tenuto Podcast, presented by 4th Street Records. I'm your host, Kevin Lynch, and here we go! Welcome to the Tenuto Podcast. My name is Kevin Lynch. I am a fourth-year teacher in Northern Virginia. I actually just finished my fourth year, summer of my fourth year. I'm a band director, like I said, in Northern Virginia. And this podcast was created as a professional development tool, kind of a excuse for me to reach out to people that I would never really get to talk to in other circumstances, like composers of the music that my students are playing or, you know, writers of method books and intelligent teachers from universities that maybe I would have had no reason to talk to other than, hey, do you want to come on my podcast? I'd love to interview you. And then my listeners get to hear all the cool things that they get to talk about. So this podcast has really been an awesome tool for me for professional development, just developing developing myself as a teacher. That's why it's called the Tenuto Podcast, because Tenuto is an articulation marking in music. Uh, that means to hold the note for its full value. This is kind of my way of becoming my full value as a teacher. It's super cheesy, but I mean, it works. And today... I get to share with you an interview with somebody who inspired me to create this podcast. His name's PFT Commenter. He's the co-host of Pardon My Take. It is the number one sports podcast in the world. He's also the lead guitarist in a band called Pup Punk. Um, And honestly, interviewing PFT was just an absolute dream come true. I'd like to say that he came on the show because it's just so world-renowned and it's an amazing podcast, but to be honest, PFT said on his podcast that he was looking for a bunch of niche podcasts, so random podcasts that had between like 1 and 60 followers on Twitter, and we absolutely fit that mold. We had about 11 the day that he said that. Today, we have 140 you know, we're growing rapidly, but it's pretty insane that he just randomly was like, yeah, I want to go on some random podcasts. He went on like a corn on the cob podcast, some Harry Potter podcast, um, like a swimming podcast, Canadian law firm um, or something. And then he's on this one, the Tenuto podcast. I'm sure he's bringing a lot of listeners with him. So real quick, let me just tell you guys about this podcast. Um, We've gotten a lot of really cool people on the show. I had hip-hop artist Dylan Owen. I had um, a lot of marching band directors from the Big Ten. We did, like, this Big Ten tour. I'm a Penn State grad. Um, But having PFT is by far the coolest thing that has happened to this podcast. Um, I'm so excited to share the interview with you. I had DM'd him on Twitter the day that he said he was looking for niche podcasts. And here's what he said about the invitation. Honestly, like when you sent me that invite, it jumped out to me. I was like, you know, there were a bunch of people that do a sports podcast or whatever. They're like, hey, I want to talk about Indiana sports or something like that. And then a middle school band podcast and classroom man. I'm like, hell yeah. So like I said, I mean, it was honestly a dream come true that PFT wanted to be on this podcast, wanted to do something different. I think he enjoyed the fact that, you know, music ed is just such a different thing so random but there's a lot of music educators out there that probably listen to part of my take maybe you're listening to this podcast because pft is on it and like if you like this podcast 
stay with us because we do really get some good people on the show. We had someone named Brian Balmages a few a few months ago. We get a lot of good teachers, new teachers, veteran teachers, college professors. So if you're interested, keep listening because we're going to keep putting out episodes over the summer every Tuesday. Um, but I know a lot of people are here because they want to hear PFT. They want to hear the interview. PFT drops some serious knowledge about music ed and his brain is so unique and I think he fits into any podcast that's why he wanted to do these niche ones but he has some awesome ideas we start out with his background we talk a little bit about things he would do if he were a music teacher and then we go into a Mount Rushmore of band instruments and do a little rapid fire you'll also hear a guest appearance from Danny Woodhead that's really cool. So stay tuned. I hope you guys enjoy. This is my interview with PFT Commenter on music education. We've got a special guest on today. Uh, a lot of people would introduce him maybe as the co-host of the number one sports podcast in the world. Instead, I'm going to introduce him as the lead guitarist in Pup Punk. This is PFT Commenter. Uh, PFT, thanks so much, man, for coming on the Tenuto podcast to talk a little music ed. Do you have any experience whatsoever with middle school band? Actually, I do. And I appreciate you interest, uh, introducing me as the lead guitarist in Pup Punk. That's a little life hack to everybody out there. If you start a band, don't invite a second person that could potentially be better than you at your own instrument into your band. That way you're always the lead or like first chair. Uh, but yeah, I, I do have a little bit of experience in that field because I played, um, I was an orchestra when I was a kid. I was an orchestra kid from like fourth grade until eighth grade. And my mom was a uh, orchestra teacher. So no way. she, yeah, she taught middle school, elementary school and high school orchestra for like 25 years. Uh, so she made me play the violin. I didn't want to, but she was like, okay, if you play the violin until you get to high school, you can drop out and play guitar if you want to. And that's what I wanted to do. So I played for a few years and honestly, I'm, I'm kind of glad that I did because it taught me how to write music or yeah. and how to read music. So, um, like it, it gave me a good baseline of music theory. Wow. So violin was, was your instrument from fourth to eighth grade? Yeah, maybe even like a little bit before oh fourth grade. I forget what she got me a violin. I yeah. I didn't. I have to admit, I was like reluctant to play it. I didn't want to be a violinist, but um, long term, I think it was probably a good idea. Wow. So did you start playing guitar around high school? I started playing. I think when I was in seventh grade. Okay. And I when you're when you're in seventh and eighth grade, that's a great time to pick up a new hobby because you uh, you can't drive yet. So you're kind of like at the whim of where your parents want to take you. And so you end up spending a lot of time like in your room. If you're not like hanging out with your friends, you start developing and like honing in on these weird hobbies when you're in seventh and eighth grade. And that's when you like it's so much easier to pick up an instrument when you're that age as opposed to trying to do it later on in life. If you're in like college or, yeah. or right afterwards when there are all these distractions everywhere. I'd come home from school and I'd, I'd play guitar for like, I don't know, three hours, four hours. And maybe I'd learn half of one song or I'd learn like two new chords in that time. But it was like it was all I had to do. So um, right. it was a great time to pick that up. Yeah. I mean, seventh or eighth grade is a good time. And then a lot of people are starting to pick up new instruments during the pandemic because there's just literally nothing to do. So, um, yeah, either of those times are pretty good. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of background on me. So 
I just finished my fourth year teaching in Northern Virginia. I'm a middle school band teacher. Uh, I also am a coach. So I, I coach uh, middle school lacrosse. We recently just won a championship, which is pretty cool. And then, Congratulations. Uh, yeah, man. Thanks. I also am an assistant coach, or I was. I, I'm not anymore of a, of a girls varsity basketball team. Uh, but this podcast goal is to have the best minds in music education sharing their knowledge with the audience. And I mean, you're not a music educator, but your brain is just so, I mean, you've got so many amazing ideas. I'm excited to have you on to just discuss music ed, maybe get a different perspective. So you said you played the violin, you started guitar in around seventh or eighth grade. Um, Mm -hmm. Has music like been a part of your life, like from your family or did you have a teacher that got you into it? How did you get started? Yeah, it, it came from my mom for yeah. sure. My dad, like he he likes music, but I think I, I don't think he's ever played an instrument in his life. Like he's got no rhythm, he's got no sensibility, he can't sing. But he uh, he likes being around people who are musicians, which is I guess is why he married my mom. <laughs> and uh, she obviously was like a big influence on me from a young age in terms of music. She plays the violin still. And uh, so I I'd go to like her concerts that she would have when when her band or orchestra would be performing, uh, you know, ever since I was like really little, as far back as I can remember. So yeah. I used to see her conducting the orchestra on stage. And uh, yes, yeah, so that was like how I kind of first got into it. Wow. And then I, I remember there was like this, there's this documentary about the history of rock and roll. I don't know if it was like a Ken Burns documentary or um, if it was on PBS or, or where I saw it, but it was a multi-part series. It probably lasted for like a month, I think on, on one of these channels. Mm-hmm. And I got obsessed with rock and roll. Like I got obsessed with like learning the history behind, you know, going back to little Richard. And, uh, even before that, like, um, the old blues guitar players from the South back in like the twenties and thirties. And it traced the lineage of rock and roll music kind of centering around guitar, but it, mm-hmm. it started, all the way back then, then you could follow it up as it, like it grew out of the Delta and spread across the country, went over to England, came back. And um, I got obsessed with just like rewatching this documentary and learning as much as I could about these bands. Like I got introduced to Jimi Hendrix that way, a lot of my favorite guitar players. And watching Jimi Hendrix play uh, the Star Spangled Banner at Woodstock oh, yeah. in that documentary, I was like, I want to get a guitar. <laughs> I want That's what I want to do. I want to do what he's doing right now. And I even I told my mom, I was like, I want to get a left handed guitar because that's how Jimi Hendrix plays. So that's how I want to play. Wow. And then I, very, I then I went to a guitar store and uh, I just like I couldn't obviously play yet, but I could feel that like a left handed guitar was not going to work out for me. <laughs> um, so she, she very smartly talked me out of that and got me some cheap. I think it was like a Yamaha acoustic guitar or mm-hmm. something. And uh then I started, I played that and my brother was really into guitar too. My brother's kind of a guitar prodigy actually. Wow. He's um, a really good blues guitar player and he was one of the better musicians like as a teenager on the East coast for a while. Like he would, oh he would gosh. just go to these clubs and, and sit in with these seasoned blues musicians and just burn the house down, just right. absolutely shred everybody's faces off. And I was, uh, I knew I wasn't ever going to be that good. Like not as good as, as he was, but I got really into like writing songs and, and into some more simple types of music after that, after listening to like a lot of Jimi Hendrix, I kind of got into reggae for a while. I got into some ska music, mm-hmm. got into uh, punk rock and songs and, and styles of music where I could like, I could kind of steer into my strengths a little bit, which 
is not being the most technically sound guitar player of all time, but being able to write a song that, that can sound good and that, you know, people will be able to listen to. It's not overly complicated all the time, but it's interesting enough to keep my attention while I play it. Yeah. Did your brother start in strings class too? He did. He had the same bargain that I did. So he had to start out by playing violin. I think my mom was yeah. really hoping that one of us would fall in love with the violin and, <laughs> and not want to give it up once we got to high school. Yeah, but well, uh, that's really it, weird because the teacher that teaches strings at my school, he's also he's got a master's in guitar. He's just like this insane guitar player. So he also started on violin. I mean, maybe that's just the gateway to being an amazing guitar player is starting on violin. I mean, so honestly, like if you can play the violin, you can play the guitar. It's yeah. it's a lot harder to play the violin well um, than it is to, to pick up an axe because anybody can learn chords. A chord, if you strum it right, will sound the same no matter who's playing it. Mm -hmm. But you can play, you can tell one person to play a B on a violin and then tell somebody who's been playing for like 10 years to play it. And you'll be like, yeah, that guy's a lot better. Yeah, no, man, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm, I'm guessing that you probably were in a few bands before Pup Punk. But Pup Punk is kind of an interesting thing because you had this platform, I guess, it's technically like Barstool's band, right? I mean, was that how this started or... How did Pup Punk start? I mean, all credit for that goes to Robbie Fox and I think Roan. I think they were the two that decided to, to start this band. Okay. And I guess somebody told them that I played guitar and then they asked me if I wanted to join and Smitty if he wanted to join. And I was like, yeah, sure. That sounds awesome. I, I'm all in on this idea. Like I, I've played in pop punk bands almost my whole life. Like yeah. there, I took like a, a long break out of uh, actually playing live music, but I've been doing this for a long time. I've been playing pop punk music. So yes, this sounds awesome. So credit to them. It was a, it was a good idea. And then we just kind of became, you're right, like the house band here. So anytime they need an acoustic performance or a soundtrack to anything, they just kind of ask us and, and we, we try to do it. Well, it's we cool because I, I mean, I guess you kind of use the, the barstool platform to become like real life rock stars. I mean, you guys are like selling out shows. Yeah. We play like, fantasy camp for rock stars kind of. <laughs> it's not because at the end of the day it's not real but it kind of has become real like right. we started as a joke but there are enough people that show up that like the music that it kind of blurs the line between like a big inside joke and actually a really good time mm -hmm. and it's it's hard to go to any sort of like a pop punk cover bands concert and not have a good time yeah so i i've kind of reached the point where it's like enough people want to come see us I'm having a great time when I play. I know Robbie, Frankie, and Roan are having a great time when we perform. The crowd is feeding off it and having a blast. At some point, it does kind of become real. Yeah. And it's no longer like we're cosplaying as a, as a rock star. Right. And even the music videos are like hilarious, but also like really cool. Like I'm sure you enjoy doing that too. So do you have like a favorite teacher from middle school um, and like, I don't know what what do you think are the qualities of like an amazing middle school teacher? Doesn't have to be music. That's a really good question. Do I have a favorite middle school teacher? I'm thinking back. I had a big crush on my home ec teacher. <laughs> That's probably not what you're looking for though. <laughs> um my my favorite teachers were usually there's there's definitely a pattern. I always liked my PE teachers and I always liked my uh, English teachers. Mhm. Mm it doesn't matter what grade I was in. Like I'm thinking back all the way middle school through senior year of high school. I always liked those two. And I think it's because those were just the subjects that interested me the most. Yeah. Uh, 
but the teachers that I liked the most definitely talked to me and treated me more like an adult. Mm-hmm. Like they, there was definitely like a level of respect there where they would ask me questions and not, it didn't seem like I was being lectured to or anything. It seemed like right. they, I don't want to say like it was a peer type relationship. Yeah. Um, but there was definitely like some give and take and we could joke around with each other and, and not take everything too seriously. So it was just like a, my favorite teachers were the ones that you kind of formed those relationships with yeah. where you see them in the hallway after class or after school or whatever, and you just have a natural conversation for a few minutes. And if you're, if you're kind of in that type of relationship with your teacher, it becomes a lot easier to absorb the stuff that they're actually trying to, to teach you when class is in session. Well, that's what they say about band teachers too, is that like, if you treat your students like they're actually musicians rather than like little kids, they're going to respond better. You're going to have better bands than if you just treat them like they're little kids. So yeah, I a hundred percent agree with you on that. Um, I also, I had this, I had this one PE teacher that kind of doesn't fit that mold, but I had a PE teacher that was also the defensive coordinator for our high school football team. Mm -hmm. And I remember in seventh grade, like, he got up in my face because I, I like I missed a spike in volleyball or so I forget what we were playing like volley tennis or some weird made up middle school game that doesn't exist outside of like seventh grade. <laughs> right, yeah. And I, I I messed up on a really simple play and he like got in my face and like grabbed my shirt. It was I remember like his mustache was catching the spittle as it was being like ejected out of his mouth and, and I was just like getting drenched uh, by him screaming at me. And uh, then he like walked back over to the sideline and I was really embarrassed at the time. But then afterwards I was like, yeah, I just got chewed out by my football coach. That's <laughs> awesome. And so, so like I felt a little bit better about that later. But yeah, uh, yeah it, it was always, always the, the PE teachers and the English teachers that I had the good relationships with. Yeah, man. That's awesome. I, I agree. I think students kind of just find the teachers that they find the subject interesting. They, they find the teacher interesting too. Um, so I want to delve into a couple music ed questions specific to middle school band and you're the, you're one of the hosts of like a a huge sports podcast. So I kind of want to relate this to sports and kind of how I, I view my position. So as a middle school band director, you have to recruit talent from the elementary schools uh, and then you have to develop these talents in, in like rehearsals and practices a lot like a, you know, like a college football coach, you know, you Mm -hmm. treat your opponent uh, you like you treat your music as an opponent and you prepare. I actually watch film on my rehearsals like coaches watch game tape. And then the concert is kind of like, you know, the big game of the season where all your hard work and dedication either pays off and the students go out and execute or they don't execute and you go back to the drawing board and, and kind of figure out the, the more efficient way to do things. So my first question for you in terms of middle school band, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of like a first year middle school band teacher. Um, okay. Today's the first day that your students are going to be playing their instruments and they're coming in and, you know, it's really loud. It's undisciplined. Kids are all over the place. How are you going to set the tone um, on the first day? Are you going to be the chill teacher that just plays it cool? Or are you going to be like more disciplined? I think what you have to do day one is you got to get them to buy into the program, right? I think you're yeah. you're absolutely right about it being like a college football type environment. So you got to here's what you do. You um you pull a screen down and then you get a you dim the lights. Everybody loves when the lights go down. <laughs> yes. Every kid knows like okay, that means be quiet. I don't know what, mm-hmm. at, at what age 
we learned that like the absence <laughs> of light means the absence of sound. That's so true. As work. soon as the lights go off, they're silent. Yeah. So just turn <laughs> the lights off, pull the screen down, and then play a video of like a some I don't know famous orchestra playing a modern pop song. Mm-hmm. And then they'll be like, yeah, I'm a rock star. Awesome. Yeah, this is all being in band is cool. Yeah. And so like from day one, you get them hyped up and you're like, hey, if you guys are able to like get through this semester or whatever it is, um, we're going to for a final concert. We're going to I'm going to let you guys pick one song from like the top 40 and we're going to do our version of that song at our concert or whatever. So then they get all amped up and they're like, yeah, OK, we've got a goal for the end of the year that we're all pulling towards. Right. And then they start to like police themselves a little bit where it's like, okay, you know what? If Jason over here doesn't quit or if Jason like forgets his instrument too many days, it means that at the end of the semester, we're not going to be able to play Justin Bieber. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, hey, I think you'd be a fantastic music teacher. Oh my gosh. See, I'm, you I'm glad I had you on. This is a very is unique perspective. If you're if you're yelling at him all the time, or if you're setting yourself up to be like, okay, I am the person who is in charge of everything, you're setting yourself up to fail because you can't possibly know what like what's going on in, in Cindy's life all the time. You can't possibly know what sort of things that that Greg's doing over here, like why he doesn't bring his drumsticks every day. So like you got to have them all buy in, and then they start to look after each other. Exactly, I hundred percent agree with you on that. That's awesome. Um, so. You know, you were talking about Jason, who doesn't bring his instrument, and that's actually like a real thing. Like a lot of kids forget their instruments, and it can be really frustrating. A lot of kids sometimes, like midway through the year, they become unmotivated. Like at the beginning of the year, it's cool. Like it's a new thing. You got this brand new shiny instrument, and then by November, it's like it's it's a thing of the past. The middle school drama is more important to them. How would you motivate your students to continue to practice throughout the year? A lot of teachers use like uh, practice logs that need to be signed by parents, but I'm personally not a fan of those. I don't think those always work. Do you have any different ideas? Yeah, those are definitely forged (laughs) signed by parents. Like kids, if the kids aren't forging them themselves, they're just like writing something down. Their parents are like, yeah, I don't care. I'll sign off on this. Right. So um, I, I agree with you. I don't think that that's a very effective tool. Maybe maybe you get a couple hours extra of practice out of each person per semester if you do it that way. But I guarantee you those hours aren't quality hours. Those hours are just like a kid holding their instrument and they're like, I would rather be doing anything else right now exactly. than playing this instrument. Yeah. So um, it's a good question. Like there's uh, – I guess you could try for more – positive like reinforcement as opposed to making them like super accountable and signing things like you get to do certain things if you practice or like you can have them show show me one new thing that you learned this week mm-hmm. while you're practicing that sort of thing um i was watching the lance armstrong documentary last night right. and i don't think that any of your kids should model their personalities after lance armstrong <laughs> necessarily but there were parts – like he had some good things about him. Like yeah. obviously you can't get to the top of your chosen field if if you don't have certain skills that other people in that field don't have. So one thing that he was saying was that um, for him, the best, funnest part of, of getting into shape for the Tour de France was the process behind it. It was practicing. Practicing to him was more fun than the other stuff. So like he would become obsessed with all the little things that go into the big picture like – 
what type of lunch he was having that day, how many grams mm-hmm. of protein, uh, how many hours of rest. He would turn everything into a game and then try to like try to try to beat himself essentially or beat everybody else that he knew wasn't working as hard as him. So I don't know if you can if you can come up with an enemy for your kids to have, like a rival school. Yeah. It's like yeah, yeah. Get, during the times that you feel like you don't want to pick up that trombone, you don't want to empty that spit valve, you mm-hmm. don't want to do X, Y, and Z, you got to think, wait, what school do you teach at? Uh, it's called... Okay, so, uh, Stafford County. So you can be like, uh, those those jerks over at Spotsylvania <laughs> don't know. They're not putting in the same work you are. And if you want to beat them at the end of the year, if you want to have a better performance than they do, now is the time that separates the wheat from the chaff. Yeah. Like, this is right now they're not practicing as hard as you are. And then and then at the end of the semester play like a uh, video of their concert and then maybe <laughs> edit in some like squeaks and, and them messing up and you can be like, you beat them. We did yeah, it. that's it. Honestly, man, that's a great idea. Um, what I do sometimes is I, uh, I'm like, I play video games sometimes with my buddies. I used to have roommates and we played this game that was like, you have to bake stuff and it's, it sounds weird, but it's actually a fun game. And my friends would like never go on to the next level unless they got three stars. Uh, so me and my roommates would be playing this game. We'd get two stars and we'd have to go back and play it again. Um, and, uh, I, I kind of took that into the band room and I, I made like, measure one through measure nine, like level one. It's like a video game. If you play it, you know, with the right dynamics, with the right articulations, we move on to level two, which is measure nine to 17. And then like a big boss is measure one to 17. And you have to do everything that we talked about and kind of like gamifying um, like the music. And that's been really productive. But yeah, I, I always thought about that, what you were talking about, how like pit them against another school. Like a rival school. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, if you had a rival and you can like make up stuff about the other school too. <laughs> be like, yo, I, I just got I got a letter from my spy that's over there and they say that they're working on this right now. So we have to do we have to always be ten percent better than our competition yeah. if we want it by five percent. So here's what we're doing to beat them this week. Absolutely. And like, yeah, the way that you, you described it in terms of like a college football program, that's exactly what Dabo Swinney would do down at Clemson. Yeah. He would try to find out what Alabama's doing and then he's like we need to be always 5% better and we need to overtrain to get to that 5% better right. and then we'll win by a touchdown in the last minute of the, of the national championship. But like maybe hang uh, up fake newspaper articles outside the band room. Bulletin board material. Yeah. yeah. I, I love that idea. <laughs> like first, first chair, uh, trumpet, Gary Smith says that, says that you guys aren't practicing hard enough and it's going to be a cakewalk. Yeah. <laughs> trademarking the word three pete because he's this is gonna be a th- three in a row it's the beginning of a dynasty yeah yeah I, I like any way that you can like develop a little sense of competition another way might be if you um this is like a little trick that i've picked up but you probably already know this because you have work you know you have uh, experience dealing in a classroom environment but if you give them two choices of things to do hmm. uh it won't feel like you're telling them what to do you'd be like hey you yeah. can eat all right so tonight we're either going to practice measures one through 12 or we're going to practice measures uh, like 36 through 48. Right. It's, it's your, your choice. choice. Which one, which one are you going to do? And then in their heads, I mean, I get fooled about this sometimes and I'm sure that my mom used to pull this trick on me all the time. It's like, okay, 
either empty the dishwasher or put away your clothes. Which one would you like to do? And I'll be like, ah, I'll put away my clothes. But yeah. I would go put away my clothes as opposed to if she was like, go put away your clothes. I'd be like, yeah, okay. Right. Yeah. Make it their choice. That's brilliant. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Very good point. Uh, awesome. So I want to move on to this next one because a lot of the times when, when students are on a stage for the first time, they kind of turtle, like they, they sink into themselves. They don't play the same way that they do in the band room because they're nervous and there's like 500 parents and friends out there. And that's like the most terrifying thing in the world. I'm curious, do you have any advice for students who get performance anxiety uh, before like a concert? Everybody does. Yeah. Everyone gets Like if you look at your favorite entertainer out there, they get performance anxiety. I don't care if it's, you know, like uh, if it's a famous singer or if it's a famous uh, guitar player or drummer, everyone has a little bit of it. Mm -hmm. And some people have a lot of it and that's fine. But what I've found is that like once you hit that first note, it tends to go away. Right. You tend to stop thinking about it as much. But it's but then if you kind of turtle on that first note, it actually makes it harder for the rest of your performance because you haven't gotten that like big moment out of the way yet. Yeah. So you're still you're still in your own head about it. Um this is gonna sound it's it's like a completely different type of anxiety, but I think there's some similarities and how to deal with it. But when I was playing rugby before every game, I would be very nervous. I'd have all this, like all this energy pent mm -hmm. up inside my body and my mind would be racing. And I'd look at my teammates and they'd be dealing with the same thing. Some people, some of the best athletes that I knew would throw up before every single game because they were that nervous. Like they were right. thinking about it and they would just have to get that out of their system. And then they would go on and be you know, able to be one of the best players on the field so what always helped me was the first time I got tackled yeah. in every – if the faster I could get tackled, the faster I could try to tackle somebody, then the faster I could put all that anxiety out of my system and my mind could start to focus on the stuff that really mattered. So like I get tackled and I'm like, oh, okay, it's not that bad. Like I have nothing to be worried about. Now it's time to start thinking about the game plan and, and how I'm going to like tactically break down this game. So to translate that to a musical situation, maybe the best way to help with that is you get on stage and we have like five minutes of pandemonium where you just you play the heck out of whatever instrument you've got. doesn't matter what note you're playing. Get it all out of your system. Get it out. Play it as, loud, as loudly as possible, as fast as possible, and then we're all going to stop. And now it's time to focus. Now we know what to. Now we don't have to worry about what we're going to sound like on the stage. Yeah. We don't have to worry about other people. You know, what the person in the front row is wearing or whatever. That's all out of your system. Now let's count down and get into our first song. PFT, I just want to throw this out there, man. I think you'd be a fantastic band teacher or strings teacher, or whatever. I mean, that's awesome, man. Um, Hey, do you ever like? Do you ever get performance anxiety before part of my take? I mean, it's the number one sports podcast in the world. Is there any pressure that comes with that, or is it pretty relaxed because you've got all those guys with you? Uh, I used to. I don't get it as much anymore. Maybe if we have like a really big interview, sure, and it's with somebody that we haven't met yet. Um, usually, if it's a recurring guest, then we've got a little bit of rapport built mm -hmm. in, and so we kind of have an idea of of what we can bring up and and how the conversation is going to go. But um, maybe if it's like a super big guest, actually, you know what? If it's somebody, here's when I get 
a little bit of anxiety still to this day. If it's a guest that Hank and Liam are like really excited and nervous for, but I don't know who they are, <laughs> then I start to think to myself, I'm like, man, I'm so old. I'm not going to relate to this. Game. I don't know what to say to them. Right. Uh, I I have no frame of reference to know why they're famous or why you know why I sh- I should be like super interested in their career. And every single time we do those types of interviews. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that dude's awesome. Yeah. Like, that was awesome. I'm, I'm so glad that we interviewed them. And then I usually end up becoming fans of theirs. Like a good example would be Jimmy Tatro. We interviewed him about a year ago mm-hmm. when we were out in Los Angeles and he does the real bros of Simi Valley. He's, uh, he's a friend of, uh, Adam Sandler. So he's been in, I think a couple of his films and he was just in the Pete Davidson movie, the King of Staten Island that came out. And, uh, I didn't know who he was at the time. And Hank was like obsessed with watching his shows on YouTube and so I was like, oh, man, Hank's really nervous about this interview. Hank usually doesn't get nervous. But, I mean, hey, all Hank has to do is, like, sit back there, maybe toss in a couple comments when we're doing right. an interview. Yeah, exactly. For the most part, it's it's me and Big Cat talking to the person. And so he was nervous, and then I, like, fed off that a little bit. I'm like, oh, man, I really stop. <laughs> or else, like, our younger, our younger demographic is going to absolutely hate it if we don't get along well with this mm-hmm. guy. Yeah. So then I start looking through Hank's eyes and thinking, okay, this is what, you know, Everyone that listens to part of my take age 18 through 27 is thinking the same thing as Hank. Uh, so then I get a little bit nervous. But then, you know, once we get in the course of the, of the interview, it tends to go away. Yeah, you Hang just got to get tackled. Me, let me plug in. There you go. Exactly. I wanted to kind of steal a page from part of my take real quick, if you have time for this, and do a Mount Rushmore. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, I want to do a Mount Rushmore of band instruments. Okay. Yeah, if, if you want to go first, that's cool. Okay, Mount Rushmore of band instruments. Number one, and I'm guessing strings are not allowed here because that's that's orchestra, right? You know, I, orchestra. I'd prefer if it was just band, but if you got to go to strings, that's fine. No, that's fine. Uh, I'll go – I like a good tuba. Ooh. I like a tuba for a couple reasons. One, it takes, it takes commitment. Yeah. You don't just – you don't play the tuba – for six months just because it's like uh, something I thought maybe I should try doing. Mm-hmm. You got to lug that thing around. You don't get a lot of glory because you know, you're stuck playing the low notes. You don't get to hit the high melodies, but the, the tuba is the offensive line. Yeah, of man. Yes. Band. They set the tone. They set the tone. They're like, okay, we're going to be hitting these bass notes. Sometimes it's just going to be like fifths going boom, 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 boom. But without that, nobody else knows what to do. Right. Your your trumpets can't play a solo without your tubas aren't keeping that beat, hitting that melody. Is really is like they are literally establishing the tone. Absolutely, for the man. song, every they establish everything: intonation, tone, rhythm. Yep. I mean, they they got it all. I a hundred percent agree with you. Um, I recently, so my first three years as a band teacher, I was an assistant director between a, a school. And then this past year was my first year kind of as the head director at a new school. And I was lucky enough to take over at a school that had a program that had 20 tubas between sixth and eighth grade. There were seven tubas in eighth grade, which is just like unheard of in middle school band. Um, a lot of my band director friends were pretty jealous. And yeah. I, I actually had tuba as my number one answer, too, because if you got a good tuba section, like you got a good band. It's That's awesome. Funny. You get 20 tubas. That's like inheriting a, a football program that's got wisconsin's offensive line <laughs> yeah no You're seriously like, that's why you take that job 
is because you're like, yeah, 20 tubas, I can be a successful. Right, yeah, if you have 20 tubas and the trumpets who like maybe are like the running backs or the quarterbacks, I mean, they can run all over the place. Now, can you establish a culture at a school where you're like, we're the tuba powerhouse? Oh, my gosh. And so, yeah, like, you get, absolutely. You get 20 tubas and then they recruit more people to be tubas for you yeah and next thing you know it's like you're known as being the tuba school so this is something that like i definitely don't want to go away like i want my tuba my tuba teams to be dominant forever so i i talk them up at concerts i talk them up like everywhere we go i take them all to these like honor band events and have them audition so that they get like that feeling of pride and they want to keep going yeah i I definitely don't want that to stop and and because we had so many tubas, the school had to buy like 40 tubas so that every kid could have one at school and one at home. So if I don't keep it up, then the school wasted a ton of money on these tubas. So I got to make sure that that stays. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So my first pick uh, is going to be the trombone. I love the trombone. I think it's uh, it's got a lot of different styles it can play. It can play fast and and boisterous and, and loud and dominant, but it can also play relaxed and smooth. Um, so, so trombone's going to be my number one pick. If you've got a good trombone player, watch out. Yeah, it's, that's a good pick. It's a very difficult instrument to play, too. Yeah. It's not one that you can just – like you have to put in some work to, to be able to – that's a womp-womp instrument, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Big fan of trombones. I love them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Snake draft. Oh, am I again? Yeah, okay, well, you got lost I mean, we talked to... <laughs> I got lost in it. Yeah. Uh, my number two would, would then be trumpet. So I, I kind of picked this one because it's the one I play the most in class. But it's also, I mean, a lot of people don't know this, but it's called the king's instrument. So the trumpet was actually before it was it was played for kings. And it's just got that bright, brassy sound that it, it declares like nobility and I'm all about the trumpet. It always has the melody. If you got a good trumpet section with that tuba section blocking, you know, like the offensive line, then your band is is going to be dominant in middle school. All right, I like it. I like it. Tough to argue with with trumpet as number two. That's a good value pick there. Uh, my second is going to be. Is it the alto sax that has that nice, like little, almost clicky sound? Sometimes it's like a little bit deeper. What's the uh, I'm thinking of a different type of sax. You're thinking I? tenor sax? Like the longer one. So there's alto, tenor, which is medium, and then there's berry sax. Okay, let me, can which I just the bass. Google it real quick? Yeah. Okay, you said tenor sax. Let's see. Yeah, tenor sax is like the medium sounding. Berry sax is the, the bottom voice of the sax family. Okay, I'm thinking baritone saxophone. Yeah. Yeah, that's what, that's one of the, that I'm looking at. I right see here. a theme here. So, you got tuba and berry sax. You like those low instruments. Well, I just I love the sound of a great baritone saxophone solo. Mm. If you've if you've never heard if you've never been to like a jazz club <laughs> or even to like a if you've ever seen a second wave ska band play, I'm getting very specific mm-hmm. here. But when the baritone sax comes out and starts really getting into a solo, it's got like the the clicky sound is something that I just like made up. It's a term that I that definitely doesn't yeah, exist, sure but but, but it's got like a little bit of percussion built into the instrument. Where I I don't know what it is about the valves closing or opening or however it's built. To me, I hear like a little bit a little bit of percussion going along with the melody, and it gets your feet moving mm-hmm. and you have a good baritone sax solo. Um, so I'll go with them number two, and then I'm going with the flute number three. 
Oh I my need gosh, to, you're stealing all my man. I got I gotta have a little bit of the low register, a little bit of the high. Love a flute. Uh, a flute is one of those instruments that I think back in the day used to represent different types of animals, right? Mm-hmm. Like they would represent a bird sometimes or like a rabbit other times. You could do a lot with the flute. There's there's some songs that represent like steamboats with a flute where you kind of bend it out and it makes a whoo sound like a boat calling out. So yeah. Yeah, it's it's got um it's versatile. It can be played like really really quickly and it sounds great hearing a very fast flute solo or a very fast uh, flute melody, but also like the long notes that get held out that get that little bit of vibrato in there. Mm-hmm. That do you even call it vibrato on a flute? Yeah, yeah, man, absolutely. Yeah, those. I mean, it's it's a great instrument. So I'm going flute number three. Totally underrated pick there. My my best bands are because I've had just like a stellar flute player that dominated and and led the the melody in that way. Um, I'm gonna go a little bit different here. I'm gonna go with my third pick with the suspended cymbal. Um, I'm not sure if you've ever heard a suspended cymbal roll, but it's got that shimmer to it that brings every crescendo where you get super loud like to another level. Without the suspended cymbal, it doesn't sound as good. So the suspended cymbal is definitely going to be in my Mount Rushmore number three. If you've got a suspended cymbal player that can play, um, just adds another element. And then my last pick is going to be just a solid bass drummer. So sometimes I've got, sometimes you have students who can't just keep a steady beat and the, the band will just fall apart without a solid bass drummer keeping, keeping time. How do you practice staying on rhythm as a bass drummer? Do you just like put a metronome in your ears and just try to play along with that? Or yeah, I mean, it... so you can try that. I mean, it, when you're in the band room, you, you just have to watch the conductor like a hawk. I, I tell my bass drummer like, you don't even need to look at the music because it's just quarter notes over and over. If you just watch me and when my hand goes down, you hit that bass drum, you're going to be good to go. Just stay with my tempo and the band will be at my tempo. It's almost like meditation, just like looking at somebody, locking in and not thinking about anything else, but just like hitting a drum. <laughs> Takes over so and over much again. mental toughness. Yeah, just to do that for you an know what I'm gonna do? I bet you could. I bet you could convince like tech billionaires to spend – a hundred thousand dollars to go go away for like three days and do nothing but play a bass drum while a conductor is <laughs> is giving them the rhythm. Like that's the type of thing that they would get really into to just like be able to zone out and get in tune with the universe and mm-hmm. lock into them. That's something that like we do as a middle schooler in band and we're like okay this can get tedious sometimes but when you get older that's gonna be that's gonna be like an ideal vacation for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, true. My last one, I'm gonna go snare drum. Yeah, snare drum. Get get that rhythm going. You can uh, you can either have a nice little like marching feel to it. You can do a nice snare roll, and that gets mm-hmm. the people on their feet. Oh my gosh! If you got a good snare everyone, roll, watch out. Yeah, everyone's locked into it. You can hit a couple like rim shots. Get yep. you know mess around with the dynamics a little bit. Uh, blow out some eardrums, and then you can do like a, a nice soft the the pitter patter with the brushes too. Yeah, um, which gives an entirely different feel. Awesome, man. Yeah. Well, hey, real quick before before I let you go, the the final thing that I do in all my interviews is this is this uh, session called double time. It's like a rapid fire session where I just ask you questions and you answer the first thing that comes into your head. Okay. All right. You ready to go? Yeah. All right. So first question: What's your favorite college marching band? 
Stanford. Okay, favorite Stan's tune? Favorite what? Like Stan's tune that you'll hear at a college football game, like a, a tune that the band plays from the stands. What'd you say? Neck. Neck. <laughs> yeah, man. Don't look, My don't, high school, don't the, the high school I work with, they play Neck. It's, uh, That's awesome. it's awesome. Yeah. Well, Neck, I mean, Neck. It's called talking out the side of your neck. Right, it's that's what they say. Hey, song. oh, talking out the side of your neck. Next side of your neck. Yeah, yeah. great tune. Yeah, the yeah, exactly. Yeah, great tune. Um, all right, real quick, I'm gonna play an instrument off camera. You tell me what it is. Okay. <laughs> I have to say, uh, I, I could see what you were playing as oh, trombone. Yeah, trombone. All right, well, that wasn't very good on my part. I would have guessed trombone anyways. Okay, yeah, no, you've got that musical mind. Um, okay, cool. Can you name an NFL team that has a marching band? Washington Redskins. Yeah, that was too easy for you. There's only two in the NFL that have marching bands. Do you know the other one? Let's see. Um... I feel like nah, – I was going to say the Saints, but I don't think that they do because their stadium is just so loud anyways. Uh, no, I don't I don't know the other one. It's the Ravens, both right next to each other. Um, if, you, uh, if you were a teacher, what subject would you teach? PE. <laughs> yep. Probably be a PE teacher. I took a couple uh, PE teaching classes in college just to keep that, that avenue open for me if I decided that was something I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like it'd be a, a fun class to teach for sure. Yeah. Have you ever been a coach? Uh, yeah, I've coached, I've coached, let's see, soccer. I've coached basketball all for like, you know, kids. I've coached rugby. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was too injured to play, I coached like our D three team, uh, for a couple years in, in Austin. Uh, so yeah, I've, I've coached a little bit and I, I don't think I'm a great coach. I think I'd probably be better in a classroom than I would be just like given a team and, and said, okay, here you go. Yeah. No, I mean this really seriously. I think you'd be an amazing teacher just based on this interview. I would hire you if I was a principal. Um, what shark do you think would be the best teacher from Shark Tank? Ooh, good question. Uh, what shark? Mark Cuban. Mm-hmm. You don't want – yeah, I wouldn't trust Barbara around kids. Mm-mm. Uh, I wouldn't trust Mr. Wonderful around kids either. Damon Damon might be a, a good teacher, but he's like he'd be one of those teachers that doesn't really talk that much, and it takes a couple weeks for his students to really like feel comfortable. Yeah, a little mysterious. Yeah, he's definitely a little mysterious. Mark, I only say Mark because he is um, he's an engaging guy. He talks a lot. He likes to talk, and he uh, he's a pretty thoughtful person too. And I don't think he has an ego, surprisingly. I think that Mark, as weird as it say, Mark Cuban has a smaller ego as a billionaire than most normal working class people in America. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I, I'm not saying that to kiss up to him or whatever, but I think that he's, he started out with a huge ego and he actually learned after being rich and, and powerful for a while that like, this isn't the best way to get things done. Right. And so he's had to kind of learn that lesson by doing and so I think he'd be great as a teacher to like be able to learn from the kids as he's also trying to teach them. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, who's the most famous person in your cell phone? Danny Woodhead. Yeah, you want to call uh, him? No. 
Yeah, you want you want to talk to Danny? Yeah, I'll call Danny. I don't know if he's going to pick up or not. Um, no, I bet he'd have a lot of insight on music ed. Let's see. Let's call in Danny. I wonder if it's going to connect to my headphones here. Uh, what's up, homie? Yo, Danny, how's it going? Uh, I don't want to interrupt your meal. I'm doing a uh, middle school band podcast right now, and they asked me who the most famous person my cell phone was, and I said I said Danny Woodhead, and uh, they want to know if you've got any advice, if you have any like personal history in middle school band. You can't hear Danny here, but he says that if he could play an instrument in middle school band, he never played in a middle school band, but if he could play, he would play the tuba. EFT is about to increase Danny's volume on the speakerphone. Loot, good choice. That was uh, that was on my Mount Rushmore of band instruments that we just did. Yeah. Uh, do any of your kids play instruments? They don't. I, I, I mean, they might eventually, but I probably probably didn't gift them with any talents in that area. All right. Yeah, maybe uh, get them into tuba. We were talking about how great the tuba <laughs> section is. Okay, well, um, this this podcast is coming out. When is it coming out? Uh, next Tuesday. Oh, next Tuesday. It's called the Tenuto Podcast. So tag you're going to be... Tell him to tag me in it. Yeah, tag Danny. He wants to be tagged. All right, Danny. Get Thanks so out. much, man. He says, he says thank you. I'll let you get back to your meal, Danny. Have a good one, buddy. Later, Bye. Hey, man. All right. Yeah, pretty cool. Maybe Danny Woodhead will get his kids into music ed now. Maybe that changed his that'd life. Be, that'd be great if he if he comes out of this with just like a house full of tubas now. <laughs> that would be amazing. Or tubists. All right. Well, hey, man, you've been so gracious with your time. I've got one final question for you. And typically I ask this to teachers. So the way I phrase it to teachers is if you could go back in time to your first year teacher self, what piece of advice would you give yourself? But since you're not a teacher, I'm going to ask you a different question. If you could go back in time to, to meet yourself right before you, in, you, uh, you start your first episode of Part of My Take, what kind mm-hmm. of advice would you give yourself for the years to come? Don't wear sunglasses. <laughs> don't, wear, don't wear sunglasses and cut your hair, hippie. Uh, honestly, the sunglasses have become a thing where I'm like, I really – I, I halfway wish I didn't wear them all the time because it makes it difficult if right. you're meeting somebody for the first time to have a good conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also like the, the look of big cat being a bigger guy, tall, wide mustache and me being a smaller guy, long hair, sunglasses. Right. It made us, the combination made us stand out. We didn't look like everybody else. <laughs> and it's also probably helped a lot of interviews when people come into the room and maybe they're doing a press tour or whatever and they sit down and they see us and we don't look like everybody else. Yeah. They're just you know, <laughs> so they're kind of thrown off and, and able to open up a little bit more. So I might, I might tell myself, don't wear sunglasses all the time on camera. That's just something that just kind of happened. Um, not something I really planned out. Now you're locked in. I think. Now I'm locked into it, and so my eyes stink. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Well, hey, real quick. I started this podcast, the Tenuto podcast, because of part of my take. I used to listen. I, I mean, I still do. I listen to it every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I honestly feel like it makes me a better teacher. Like, seriously, listening to part of my take kind of opens up my creative spaces in my mind. Um, you know, you were the people that, that kind of inspired me to get in front of a microphone and this past February, I actually presented on this podcast at a music ed conference in Ohio, 
um, on like professional development opportunities and how I use this for professional development. So, I mean, seriously, man, thanks for coming on. It was a really cool opportunity to meet one of my heroes. I, I uh, appreciate so much that you came on. Yeah, I had a lot of fun, man. This is great. So good luck with everything moving forward. If uh, we talk to any guest that's like really into middle school band, I'll point them your way and, and maybe they can be a guest on this podcast as yeah, well. That's awesome. yeah, this is cool. Cool, man. All right. Well, thanks so much and, uh, and have a good rest of your day. Pretty cool of PFT to come on a music ed podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed that interview. If you liked what you heard and you want to stick around and maybe listen to some other music education people, I highly recommend sticking around every Tuesday over the summer. We'll be dropping a new episode and then listen to some of our previous episodes. Like I said, we did a Big Ten tour, did a bunch of college marching band directors from the Big Ten. So I hope you guys stick around. I hope you like that. Thanks so much for listening. This was Kevin Lynch. I will see you next Tuesday. Have a great week.